Bleed is a Stone Cold classic. It is so influential on it's the, the va- blueprint for all 19th century. Not 19th century. Oh my, God. <laughs> <laughs> my head. I like. I'm still in Victorian boyland. Yeah, still thinking Hello. about Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the blueprint for all. 1970 I did it again then oh my god <laughs> sorry I'm sorry he's it's Dracula Dracula I'm leaving goodbye it's now the Nick and Leah show I'm signing wow. off welcome I'm Leah and I'm Bree. we're your hosts you've just joined a meeting of the fan club where we slice into the scary sexy and sometimes silly vampire films of the 21st century I can't get over how we left <laughs> left the or something blade related in the outline. In the actual outline, yeah. <laughs> Kudos to you for not just straight up reading that. <laughs> A little peek behind the curtain. Our our outlines are very detailed. <laughs> very, yeah. <laughs> we didn't just put <laughs> say something blade related, lol. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before we get into this week's episode, here is the obligatory spoiler alert. Um, not that you really need it because this movie is an oldie but a goodie classic blade but if you don't want to hear about the movie before you watch it stop here here's your only warning and we are so excited to have a guest with us this week um it is my pleasure to welcome my good friend nick um he's a friend but he's basically family and uh we're really excited to have him here on the podcast with us today to chat about uh the late 90s vampire masterpiece blade so hi nick hello thanks for thanks for having me guys yeah, of course. We are very excited to have you on. It's always fun to have guests. I know. We we have fun. We, you know, have our 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 thing going, but we like to have guests on too. Keep us in check. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Since sure how well know. I'll do with that. <laughs> Leah and I tend to be like the same person when it comes to vampire opinions, so it's nice to have a fresh perspective. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We need some opinions. I've got them. So <laughs> so I have a little icebreaker question for you, Nick. All right. Um, it's almost October. And I know that every year you put together like a horror movie watch list for spooky season. So I want to know, do you have a favorite vampire movie that's on your list for this year or one that maybe goes on there every year? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, my one of my favorite movies is the and we watch it every year is the 92 Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Francis Ford Coppola one. Love it. It's iconic. The uh, the Lucy scene in that one is like, I don't think it can ever be recreated. <laughs> so that's that's my favorite. Um, yeah, we watch that every year, and it sounds like you might too. Might might also. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yes. Well, Nick, you introduced me to that movie. I hadn't seen it until I watched it with you. So I love that movie. Love All credit goes to you for that. <laughs> I love that. It's a Thank classic. You. Thank you for doing that for her. <laughs> no problem. It is one of my favorites weird and it's got such a weird cast in it too like the whole keanu reeves thing i don't know it's yeah uh, it's fun and weird and great for halloween i think so so hopefully you guys will get to touch on that soon yeah we may or may not have come up with the whole dracula where is he now series as an excuse to cover bram stoker's dracula (laughs) um and just to talk about dracula in general (laughs) i just you know dream guy dracula the Gary Oldman one. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, for me, it's book Dracula, but mm. oh. Gary Oldman is top tier, top tier. It's hard, it's hard to beat him in the whole like Victorian outfit when he's like uh, wooing, um, what's her bucket? 
Oh, Mina. I can't even, yeah, Mina. Rider. Yeah, Winona Ryder, yeah. It's, it's hard just, to beat that. It's mm-hmm. just something... I, I've probably said it a thousand times, but like middle school me, when I first like fell in love with the book Dracula, like I, I, nothing compares to middle school me's like imagination for coming up with Dracula. So I just haven't really found my ideal Dracula on screen. I don't know if he does exist. I don't know if he can exist because like the one, I think, I think I am Anne Rice and I'm just like, no one can ever be. Dracula. My like, Dracula. No one can ever be mm-hmm. Lestat. You know, like, she was like, yeah, just, my Dracula is better. <laughs> but Gary Oldman gets the closest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have one more installment left of Dracula. Where is he now? That'll probably be coming up in November because we've got something fun scheduled for October. Um, and we will. I, I'll publicly say, Yes, we promise we are getting to Bram Stoker's Dracula. It will be in the next Dracula Where Is He Now installment. It might be the horniest one yet. So. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. So today we are here to chat about Blade, and I'm so excited. Um, some of you listening might be like, hey, Blade came out in 1998. And to that I say, <laughs> both of the sequels came out in the 2000s, so we were... We are going to cover them, and we can't cover two and Trinity. We don't without have to justify Blade. ourselves. <laughs> and also, true, we don't, we don't. But also, Blade is the blueprint for so many of the vampire action movies from the aughts. Like so many of the films that we've already covered on this podcast just want to be Blade so fucking badly. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we need to talk about Blade, A, because it's fun, and B, it is relevant to our podcast project. Uh, so. Don't fight Man. me on that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we unapologetically have covered many an 80s movie already. So this is closer, at least. <laughs> it's our podcast. We can do what we want to. Practically 2000. Practically. 1998. <laughs> yeah. And I do think, I mean, it was 98. So, I mean, like the next, like the next year, like um, the Matrix came out. And I feel like this movie like really influenced Matrix a lot. Like I was telling Leah before I sent her like a, a meme on Twitter saying that this, uh, this movie kind of started the whole hot goths doing martial arts genre of movies. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so like see the Matrix underworld, like equilibrium. Um, so I don't know. I think it's kind of, kind of interesting. Like every, you're right. So everybody, uh, it seems like there's a lot of movies that want to be played in a lot of different ways. So, and I will say it because I enjoy pissing people off. I think Blade is better than The Matrix, so... You're gonna start a fight online. (laughs) Come at me. I'm ready. I have receipts. I have evidence. I have it all. (laughs) I I can prove it to you. (laughs) I I may have to be on the other side of that argument. (laughs) (laughs) Is Is it because you like Keanu Reeves, though? Is it? No, Keanu Reeves is kind of a bad actor but okay okay because that's the i feel like everyone i've encountered that is ride or die for the matrix is just obsessed with keanu reeves and i'm just like okay he's hot cool that doesn't make it a good movie (laughs) i i think i mean i guess we're not we're not talking about the matrix here but i think one of the things i I like about the matrix is that it does have like a really cool like um like sci-fi plot that makes you think um and i just I like the Wachowskis too, so. Yeah, I think The Matrix is like more philosophical and it has bigger ideas on its mind. Um, and Maybe Blade that's is- why I'm like not into it. I'm just anti-intellectual. <laughs> and this wow. thing like Blade is just, it's a, it's a comic movie. It's like good and evil, like black and white. It's like very, 
it's very simplified, but it does it so well. Like, I I love this movie as it is. That's not a complaint. I think it's just, like, a difference in sensibility. Um, For sure. I just think the that the, the initial, like, the, the complete aesthetic of this movie works better in the way that Blade does it than I think it does in The Matrix. Like, not talking about plot or story or character or anything, just, like, aesthetically, I think it works better here. I, I'll be in the middle. I can't pick a favorite. <laughs> I'm not, no, no, I'm not trying to convince either of you. This is purely a my opinion thing. It's fine. <laughs> I also just wanted to start a war online. <laughs> ah, okay. Now, now, am I? Do I even really think that, or am I just? Bree, Bree's inner troll comes out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna be devil's advocate here. <laughs> oh no! Get out of here. <laughs> Oh, geez. Here we go. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, Blade was definitely influential. It was a big hit when it came out. It spawned two sequels, obviously. Um, and we can get into it a little bit later. But I think what's really interesting about the Blade sequels is that they are different from each other. And they're different from Blade. Like, even though Blade has two sequels with the same cast, it really does kind of stand alone as its own kind of own type of movie. Um well, it, it's before the big, uh, well, like, we have it in our notes to talk about later, definitely, but it's it's pre-Marvel Universe, cinematic universe. Yeah. So it's before all of that, like, desperate need to keep milking things and prolonging them. And so the first movie does stand alone. Like, it doesn't need a continuation. Like, it wraps itself up neatly. Um, which is something that I think all movies, even ones that plan sequels, should do because, like, just because it's going to be a part of a bigger franchise doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be a complete movie. <laughs> yeah, and I I agree too. Like, it doesn't um like since this is like pre MCU Marvel or whatever, it doesn't have that like the Marvel equation. You know what I mean? Where like they all kind of have to like follow like the same like. It's an algorithm, um, like an yeah, algorithm basically an algorithm. Movies, <laughs> so they so they really kind of got to be like kind of free with this movie too. Um, got to be a little wild with like a lot of like 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 I know that we wanted to go into like the humor and some of the other things that they set up with it. So I think that they did have a lot of freedom and leeway with this movie, which made it fun. And it's it's rated R. I think it's it's really interested in being a horror movie. I mean, it's an action movie, it's a superhero movie, but it's also a horror movie, and they play with that and they have fun with that. Um, it's really gory. Well, it's not obsessed with setting up Blade. It's not like a an exposition heavy, like, here is who Blade is and this is what motivates him. It's very much just like, watch him be badass. And I love the way <laughs> yes. that the film sets up Blade. Like, it's just like a minute and a half long scene at the beginning. There's no dialogue. And it gives you all the information you need about Blade. Like, he's he was born a half vampire. And, like, that's it. Like, that's all you need. And he's still fucked up about his mom's death. Yeah, you know, that's, that's all you need. <laughs> like, you don't need a whole movie of origin story. You just need one scene. And then, you know, you're dropped in. Blade's already the badass vampire killer that... um that you know we know and love like he he just arrives in the film fully formed and it's great and the only like uh i would say like stereotypical like superhero quality to blade is the fact that like he is like mission focus driven and there's not a lot of like depth to his character but it's on purpose because he's supposed to like kind of stand for something versus like be something like or be someone and um I I think that that works really well because of the the lack of kind of like 
really hammering in his backstory. It's just like, here he is, this is what he does, and that's all you need to know. And it works so well in the kind of like quick paced, like fastly paced, like action packed movie that Blade is. And I think that that's something that kind of started to get lost when we got, when we get more into like later on Marvel's movies with just being like obsessed with really just giving you this whole fleshed out character that people would initially not know until they read like hundreds of comics, you know? So it's not like you don't need to give us it all because it's, it's if it's a superhero, like you don't really need to know it all. It's, we know what motivates him briefly, and we know he is like hunting vampires, and that's good enough. Yeah. Well, even his like um, his like introduction debut, like when he like after the, the of course like the blood sprinkler thing, Moment like of it, his for the blood sprinkler. yes, this such <laughs> what a vibe. Honestly, the blood sprinklers are such a vibe. But like his intro, like and the act, like when he's like an adult or whatever, his intro is just like a massive ass kicking sequence with a sword and sunglasses to the. Um, the uh, fire starter by the prodigy like the whole thing is like so late night like i'm not sure how much more late 90s you can get and it's just epic like <laughs> it did such a good job it's so fun to watch yeah everything about this movie's aesthetics are just peak late 90s like what everyone thought was cool in the late 90s and it's i mean i love it <laughs> There's, there's a rhythm to his fighting that it's almost like he's doing a choreographed dance, you know, and it's just so fun to watch. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing, like Blade is fun to watch. The movie's fun to watch. And then the character played by Wesley Snipes, of course, is fun to watch. And I think with some of these more recent um, superhero things where they're so invested in like the origin story and get, giving you all this information to get you to care about the character. It's like putting the cart before the horse, like just give me a fucking cool character. And then I'll be interested. <laughs> I'll be like, now I want to uh-huh. know. Cause you've hooked me. Like I need, I need that hook. I need the introduction scene <laughs> of our character coming into this ridiculous vampire nightclub underneath an abattoir and like <laughs> kicking ass. You yeah. Know? That's what's missing. <laughs> and- and I think um, kind of going to Wesley Snipes too, like he brings like, he's, I don't know. he He's so cheeky. Like he's really fun to watch, but he's like, he's like such a cheeky actor, like him doing like, doing those like grins after he does like a fight scene like this almost like fourth wall breaking grins right at the camera like it's really cheeky and like fun and like what i'm not sure if anybody could could have done it the way wesley snipes did it like he brings a there's almost like a a video game quality to the way he reacts after something that's very like like it's very like yeah and it's also very kind of like stilted motions like he like jerks around and kind of like just like grins you know and it's very it doesn't feel like something a real person would do which kind of adds to his like very like larger than life like Uh yeah because blade isn't a real person he's a superhero he's an icon he's like (laughs) he's more than like a a real person and i think that the film sets him up that way, especially with how much the vampires fear him. They're like, oh shit, we don't want to fight Blade. <laughs> and also with the way, as you said, that Wesley Snipes embodies him and brings him to the screen. And uh, I agree with you. I think Wesley Snipes does have a great kind of... Cheekiness is a good word for it because it's it's not over the top. It's not meta or self-aware. It's just... Um, it's almost a little deadpan, um, the way he delivers his quips and stuff. Uh, 
Well, like, that's yeah. kind of the comedic tone for the whole movie is deadpan. Like, you're not quite sure if the movie is in on the joke, too, or how how much of the camp is on purpose, you know? It's it's all very... I think it's it's almost... It's simultaneously not, but it really is kind of subtle, if that makes any sense, you know? Like, you it have is. to... It takes you a bit to, like... Fu- like really a bit dry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's also, I think... Because the film is a horror film, um, a lot of the fun comes from some of it's from that dry humor, but some of it is just from the gore and Ex- the fight exploding scenes. bodies. Yeah, over and- <laughs> the top. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, a lot of this film's sense of fun comes from that because um, it's not really a comedy. I mean, it does have like those comedic undertones, and in a way. It's um, it's subtle though. Like I was saying, it's like a very subtle comedic undertone that you're not sure if it's quite on purpose or not, and that's kind of just like fun to to sit with as you're watching and like watching all of this crazy shit happen on screen, and you're just like hearing him make the dumbest little one liner, and you're like, uh-huh. is that is that good or is it bad? I can't tell, but I'm into it. I think the only kind of truly comedic character is Quinn played by Donald Logue. Um, I he, think I don't think he can play not a little bit goofy. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen him like a hundred percent serious. And yeah, and I think you have a point with that too, Leah, because like um, I mean, the main, the primary antagonist in the movie is uh, Deacon, um, but like the one who's kind of like like blade directly interacts with he's kind of like his most frequent direct antagonist like they're directly fighting each other is quinn throughout the majority of the movie and he's an absolute buffoon um like and they always have like this like running gag throughout the movie where he keeps getting his arm cut off over and over again and they keep putting it back on like it definitely has like this like comedic undertone like ley line throughout the whole movie that um i think is just emblematic of quinn in and of, in and of himself because he is like even though he's not the primary antagonist like he's the most frequent direct antagonist for blade even even visually he is like kind of the most over-the-top looking character too like if you can even say that when it's a cast full of just all pleather and leather. I know. I was going to say, I love the shot of like, it's kind of early in the film when Blade is uh, dropping um, dropping Karen off on the street after they've saved her. And he's just walking through the streets of the city in his full Blade getup with the sword on his back and his leather duster. And like, <laughs> nobody even looks twice. And I'm like, oh Not conspicuous at all, right? <laughs> I love it, I love it. Well, the amount of times he just open fires into a crowd and like a few people scream, but for the most part, they all just like, stay right, there. It's just a normal Tuesday, whatever. <laughs> but anyway, so you're saying that Deacon, or not Deacon, um, that Quinn is is the most over the top looking character. Yeah, like he he's the only one that I think ever has kind of like a changing style because for for a lot of the beginning shots, he's just kind of this like greasy villain type guy with the long black leather trench coat and like all in dark outfit you know he looks kind of like just like a skeevy underground dude you know not not ever he doesn't ever look like he's gonna be the main bad but like like you said he's he's the only one that they kind of interact with like constantly um he's like the top henchman and just out of nowhere he'll he'll have like the weirdest hairstyle like at one point he had just like four chunks of braids but he had like the really serious like 
outfit on still. So it just, it, it was just like, did they just do that between takes? Like, what, what if we just do this? Like, <laughs> just try some like, he also great. has like all of the scarring on his face too. So I think he is, has the most kind of um, dramatic makeup look. Well, he gets fully set on fire in the first five minutes of the film. He does get fully set on fire. Like, this dude almost dies so many times. He's a cockroach. When he finally died, when he finally died at the end, I was just like, wait, does he really, was he really dead? Like, they killed him? The sunglasses landed in Blade's hand, and I was like, oh, yeah, he killed him for sure because he stole his sunglasses. (laughs) That was the line. That was the line right there. But in general, the vampires in this film just, they're very human looking and they just have the teeth. Like, there's not really a makeup component or an S- or an SFX component to the vampire creature design. The only thing that I think, it's, it's not really a part of the design, I wouldn't say, but, like, the only thing that stuck out to me about, like, making the vampires different is that they all had, like, lion roars and, like big cat oh, yeah. sounds huh. they did they that did. was weird huh? yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean i i personally think the the sound design was one of the best parts of this movie i thought it was actually insanely funny the scene where they're all um deacons at the vampire council table and it's these obnoxiously large leather chairs that they're all in around the circle table and every single time anyone slightly shifts they just really emphasize the awkward leather sounds and it, it was just so funny <laughs> and and i just i i think it's the best because that's something that like i always think about especially when i watch underworld i'm like they have all of these like really intimate sexy scenes between these characters that are in all leather or latex and you know that sounds goofy as hell i know you forget all the leather creaks <laughs> yeah but like they never include it they always cut it out and so it was just so it was almost like parody-esque because it was just like every single time the bad guy would like turn it would be like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> like it was so good yeah so talking about the vampire council like let's get into a little bit about like what kind of vampires we have in this film? Like, who... were they actually a council, or did I just make? No, that I up? think they are a council. Yeah, yeah. I think that they. I think that they said that in the movie. Okay. Um, they just looked like a council. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they definitely hit the imagery on the head. On yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like, what kind of vampires do we have in this film? Like, who is our villain? Um, like, what? What's this? What's the vampire situation here? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely texted you at one point that the council was just all of the ugly vampires. <laughs> but we did basically, yeah. But we did get more Udo here. I'm happy about that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. MVP. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like all of the like it was a bunch of just like very business looking dudes with weird beards. But yeah, so the vampires in Blade are there are like two types of vampires. Well, Three, I guess, if you count Blade. If you count Blade, yeah. Yeah, so you have he, the... Bl- but they, they make it very clear from the get-go, he's not a vampire. He has vampire qualities, but he is not a vampire. Because they, he can't be the good guy and also be a vampire. Yeah, he takes a serum to keep himself human, basically, to suppress his vampire urges and his vampire side. While keeping the kind of perks of being a vampire, like the strength and speed and ability to regenerate after right. he gets injured. So being born half vampire is Blade's superpower, basically. <laughs> um, so there's he's he's born half vampire but he's the only one like that the rest of the vampires there are born vampires um 
which we've seen this in other movies and TV shows that we've covered for the show. Sometimes there's this distinction between born vampires and made vampires. Which is honestly one of my least favorite tropes to ever exist. Yeah, well, I don't understand the concept of a born vampire. Like, How does that even work? How is there just a first vampire? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it just I mean, goes against the whole thing of vampires. <laughs> I don't know. I don't it's, like, it. it's like the... It's, it's the deal with the devil you know you have to choose to forego your humanity and it's kind of like that the one of the best parts about vampire movies or vampire books is the fact that like it's like how much are you willing to give up for eternal life you know yeah um well i mean in this one it's it's not really said that vampires live forever they just live longer they Mm, age slower that's true that's true yeah so we have the the born vampires who seem like they're kind of uh, in charge of the vampire world, at least in this city that Blade they're takes very, place like, in. They're very, like, diplomatic. Like, yeah, political, like political Businessmen, kind of. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And then our villain, Deacon Frost, played by Stephen Dorff, um, to perfection, I might add. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he is a made vampire. So he's a vampire, but he was bitten and turned. So he's sort of like a second-class vampire citizen. And he's mad about it. It's a fun play on the the typical, like, self-hating vampire because, like, they hate themselves because they are a vampire. But he's like, no, I hate myself because I have that part human bit. Like, I was originally human, but actually, like, fuck that. I'm a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think this is a good time to bring up, like, that Blade is interesting in that it came out at a time, it came out in 98, really before the whole kind of good guy vampire thing kind of took hold in the public imagination, where like, most of the pop culture vampires we were getting were like, quote unquote, ethical vampires or good vampires, like vegetarians. Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) Like the vampires in Blade are just straight up evil. And there's no explanation for it. It's just like totally assumed that vampires are bad. Being a vampire is bad. Yeah, and I and I think like we were talking about this before, um, and I think that that part of that comes from like just like you said, like the time and place where maybe like in the late '90s or whatever, something like that wasn't like you didn't need to explain that because vampires are just in like pop culture wise, they're just inherently evil, right? Um, but looking at it from like the lens of 2022, I did it did notice that that was something that I like a question that I had watching the movie, like why are they inherently evil? Um, I just felt like that was a question that was never answered in the movie, but that's probably maybe just because uh, I have like the the sensibilities of somebody that watches vampire movies in 2022, you know? So um, we're all monster fuckers now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We have that like question all the time, Brie and I, because we like the sympathetic vampires because. <laughs> <laughs> you know um and so i like the non-sympathetic ones too though <laughs> that's true. but at least but at least they explain it if they're yeah. not sympathetic well, you think, know i mean i think it does feel kind of retro when a movie just assumes vampires are monsters no questions asked like when we watched the invitation a couple weeks ago um it's a new movie and it does the same kind of thing where the vampires are just like evil once the char- once the main character learns that um another character is a vampire then it's like oh cool you're a monster evil end of discussion and it Boring. did feel kind of it did feel kind of <laughs> retro like i had the same reaction to that movie as like you did to this one nick of just being like well isn't there like a well, middle ground? <laughs> yeah. we, could, we could fix 
Dracula. We could fix Deacon. We could make him the dream man. I don't know if we could fix Deacon, but I think we could fix Blade. Like, Blade could, like, be... (laughs) He could embrace his vampire side a little bit more and still be fine. There's no no fixing Deacon's haircut. (laughs) Damn. Leave Offburn Chris Pine alone. (laughs) The, The thing that I think it it's a combination of the fact, like you guys were saying, that it's just in the 90s, there was no kind of concept of a redeemable vampire. They were just monsters and that's it. But I think that it kind of started to shift a little bit kind of mid-movie. And there was that interesting aspect of where he didn't actually want to be cured at the end because he realized that his mission came first and he needed to actually keep eradicating the vampires. And I kind of got the sense that because he was only able to beat the bad guy, to beat Deacon slash the reincarnated god. <laughs> the blood god. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the CGI goop monster, yeah. <laughs> he was only able to beat him because he took so much of Karen's blood. And so it was kind of like showing that like there is... a a good side to drinking blood, you know? And so I was kind of getting the sense that like, eventually he will become a sympathetic vampire, a good guy vampire, but like it wasn't the time. And also I think that it's just a natural result of this being based off of the comics and how comics are very black and white and there are bad guys and good guys. And they just don't feel the need to explore any deeper than that and there's no need to like say why deacon's evil he just he just is and that's just kind of accepted at face value um and i so i think that that is something that's done primarily in comics but also i think that that's just kind of how things were before that shift that we were talking about anyways because i feel like that's a very modern thing to be like wanting to sympathize with the bad guy (laughs) yeah vampires included (laughs) i don't know how good that is that like it we've turned into an audience of like but is he really evil because he's very hot (laughs) and i well i just think that like as far as like the like because i I don't like antagonists where it's like it's like literally just a cardboard cutout that the protagonist is just target practice that they shoot at you know what i mean i do like having like a more sympathetic antagonist that's clearly an antagonist and evil but like something that like somebody that you can actually like yeah so like um great example is killmonger from uh uh black panther fantastic antagonist like like you can kind of see where he's coming from like in certain ways but it's also like he's not a good person so i think that that makes a more compelling story where there is that that conflict between antagonist and protagonist rather than just the cardboard cutout and you get that really fun moral dilemma as an audience member being like how much do the ends justify the means you know yeah and that just having the audience kind of like go back and forth with how much do they sympathize or how much would they uh, excuse or understand the behavior of the villain just makes for more engaging material. You know? Oh, for sure. And so I think it's less so nowadays, like as far as like how we like, more, I guess, more modern writing of antagonists, less so like trying to get the audience to simp for the villain rather <laughs> than like making a more compelling like dialogue, not only with the plot, but in like yourself, probably I would imagine. So I want to agree with you and I want that's kind of like the the very like optimistic way of looking at how we've shifted <laughs> as a uh, as a generation. Okay. 
But I also do know that, like, there is a shit ton of content that is produced just to have, like, people simping for villains. That's true. <laughs> so, like, I'm looking That's at true. you, Loki. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but, yeah. I know Tumblr exists, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a fun mix of both, though, you know. <laughs> but you were saying, Brie, that you like Deacon as an antagonist. You like I Frost do. as a villain in, in Blade. I think that he is... When you when you watch it from the lens of like 2022 or a modern lens, you're seeing all of the kind of like cast off wannabe versions of Deacon that we've gotten since like post Blade. And he it's kind of like in the sense that Blade was kind of the the blueprint for all of these like baddie uh, vampire movies and like action packed, like exploding or dissolving skeletons, you know, all of that. <laughs> you know, like we have Deacon as kind of the, the, the almost cardboard cutout, like archetypical, like villain where he is just like almost deranged in he, he is so dedicated to his cause or his like, his reason for being bad that he has like lost track of reality and lost track of like the implications or like the consequences of any of it. And it's just kind of fun because it, I think it works because Steven Dorf has the ability to hold your attention. He has that charisma and that like over the top ridiculousness that you need to be, to believe that he believes that he's doing the right thing or he's doing like a just thing. <laughs> like he's just fully lost it. And I, I kind of love that because it's, it's that idea that like he is fully trying to c- turn everyone into vampires. Like that's his goal, which is just stupid. <laughs> what are you then who do you eat? Yeah. Who do you eat, dude? Like you can't, it's the whole, it's the, and so it's I, the day I see, dilemma. It's, the, it's the daybreakers conundrum, you know, it's, a it's prequel. like, why? Who knows? <laughs> well, it, daybreakers really wanted to be blade. And I see that like, as I rewatched it and like, I see that with a lot of other movies that we've watched for the podcast, I can just see how, much blade and how much like deacon's villain inspired or like like carried future dumb villains (laughs) and i think that's beautiful it's also Uh like this is kind of a reductive way to to describe it and i can't think of another way to put it um that would make myself sound smarter but (laughs) like i think you see it with wesley snipes as blade and with steven dorf as frost both actors and also the you know the script and the 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 cinematography and like the way these characters are presented but both of the characters are just cool mm-hmm. so like it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter that they don't have that much depth cuz they're cool enough to pull it off like it's fine if it's all vibes cuz the vibes are impeccable yeah um, and i think immaculate vibes <laughs> yeah. the movie's a whole vibe yeah and so i think again it seems so reductive to just be like well he's cool but like that I think is what the film is aiming for in a lot of ways. And it hits that mark. And it's also not easy to do. That's not an easy accomplishment because you see that, like, I feel like as soon as I, or the whole time I was watching this, I just in my head the whole time was thinking like how embarrassed I would be to be a part of making Morbius because of the fact that it was just such a wannabe modern blade, but it just failed so spectacularly. Like it has like the Jared Leto truly tries to have those dumb little quips and that like 
couldn't like he tries to have the vibes but he does not have the vibes (laughs) and neither does matt smith bless him like i love matt smith but he does not either and even though like because there wasn't a definable villain in morbius like it's just it was a shit show and but even with the way the action was kind of portrayed like the the opening scene of blade where he is just like shooting and slashing his way through this club of vampires covered in blood and all in white very dramatic and they just explode or like they just like you see their skeleton like turn to ash and it's so dramatic and it's so captivating and it's also like so obviously like done with technology from the 90s and to have so much more developments with cgi and with the way that we can like fake things now and to have morbius just be so bad it's just like it makes blade like that much better you know because you're like (laughs) they did the thing damn it and people are trying to do it now and they still can't (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and i think yeah like yeah and i think like what makes it this movie like great too is like because it does have a very constrained um cast um the scope of the plot isn't like um they knew what they wanted to do with it and like it didn't like promise more than like what you got like it's pretty straightforward what it is but i think so and i think that that kind of all like and the fact that it was like an absolute vibe the cinematography in this movie is great um but i think they also did a fantastic job with just the the casting too like wesley snipes um like like uh crap what was his name deacon uh <laughs> yeah, we keep forgetting his name. Steven uh, Dwarf. Uh, Steven Dwarf. Um, the uh Chris Christopherson. Um, and then also um uh, the guy that played Quinn. Like they're all just like, even if they didn't have great like dialogue or plot points or whatever, they're just fun to watch, like just as themselves, because they're all kind of quirky and fun, and you can tell that they really were having a, a fun time playing these characters. And they were characters. 100% committed. They had, mm-hmm. there was no hesitation in their performance. Like, they were truly, they knew what they were trying to do, and they did it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just fun to watch, yeah. Another um, another kind of thing that I was wanting to touch on was just, like, the, pri- I guess, the, the primary, the two primary characters that we have in this movie, and I think that it was kind of cool watching that because it is this is an older like kind of an older movie at this point but both of the main characters were people of color which i think is really really cool um like and also the fact that um karen who is the kind of the um uh the love interest for blade kind of thing um like she doesn't um it seems like that they did kind of dodge a lot of the um like tropes um that prime like that 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 lead women have in these kind of movies um she she was barely like a romantic interest which i loved like she was mostly just important to the story <laughs> yeah and like that's and she didn't so su- and that's what i thought was really cool she didn't suffer from the uh what do they what do they call it the sexy lamp trope yeah yeah thing, <laughs> where like she actually had like a non um like a uh like a significant like like her she actually had like what, what like actually like added to the plot and like in a significant way like progressed the story um so i think that that was kind of cool and also they could have totally done the whole like damsel in distress with her too like her getting bit her getting pushed into the pit or whatever but like she ends up kind of like saving herself and like having her own um uh like I don't know. Like, I thought it was neat how they dealt with Karen. I thought they did a good job, honestly. And it works really well with how Wesley Snipes portrays Blade, too, because he doesn't seem 
to be the type of guy that would like want to go in and rescue her. He's not a knight mm-hmm. in shining armor, you know? So no, no. it mm-hmm. would have been weird if he did like spend a lot of the time just like running after her, helping her like, no, like that's, they're both very independent characters. And I love yeah. that. Yeah. And that's what, I, that's what I was trying to say here is like, she actually has an important role to play in the story in a not superficial way. Um, so I, I don't know. I thought they did a really cool job with her. Um, and and Wesley Snipes, and I think it's cool that they uh, this was a, a movie with two leading POC characters, and it it was popular and successful. And I mean, yeah, like it I made a it was commercially successful. Blade was, which is just I don't understand why it took till like what twenty eighteen to get Black Panther. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think Blade it's a great movie, and it's like stands on its own, and it's like not about race in any meaningful way. But I like I love that. It's yeah, it's a black superhero. And I think Blade meant meant and means a lot to a lot of people for that reason. Like that's something that you really can't overlook when you're talking about this film. Like I mean, it's a big even, deal. You even get it with other other movies. Like I it wasn't necessarily a great movie in itself, but it was fine. Um Vampires versus the Bronx. Like they worshipped Blade. Yes, because he's I, the only black vampire. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's just some it's just shows in even like goofy little ways that like it means something and it meant something and it's i think that that's really 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 cool um and i mean not even talking about like race like or at all because like like you said this movie doesn't really have any kind of take on that at all it's just they are played by people of color like like i i don't understand why there is not more discussion about like how attractive Wesley Snipes is in this movie. Yeah, he's hot mm-hmm. as Blade for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> that yeah. man needs to drop his skincare routine because <laughs> goddamn. And it's it's speaking of Wesley Snipes too, it is kind of funny like watch like seeing like what he um I mean seeing him in the movie, like him like having like the shaved head and like all all badass, like with the sunglasses and stuff. And then seeing him now, like I think he was like one of the presenters on um I can't remember one of those award shows or whatever. And he had like the bow tie and like the glasses and stuff. He looked like super duper like super nerdy. And it is kind of funny like seeing him now versus like him and Blade because it's like definitely like a huge contrast. Uh, uh-huh. yeah. Even his name is kind of a contrast because like I feel like Snipes is such a like intimidating like last name but then like wesley is such, like, <laughs> a little, like a little nerdy name so it's just uh, that's funny. speaking of names did we already talk about why the fuck does <laughs> randomly his mom is like yes your name is eric <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things i love again we were talking about like blade doesn't get an excessive backstory i love that we don't even learn if he has a name other i just than thought blade. his name was blade yeah. from the get-go until his yeah. mom just drops it like calls him eric and you're like oh he does have a, a quote-unquote real name and he didn't seem shocked by it he wasn't like my name is eric you know so it's like i guess he was aware that his name was eric <laughs> <laughs> and when did she have time to name him <laughs> yeah so it's funny, like when that scene came up, I was watching it with um, the person I'm dating right now. And Carter was like, so how did Blade know that his name was Eric? Was there like a birth certificate that he has <laughs> that she filled out? And then he was like, does Blade have a social security number? <laughs> like... <laughs> Man's just been living on the underground the whole time. <laughs> I guess. I'm like, whose brain goes to that? But that's kind of funny. <laughs> But like you, I mean, I guess he had to have because if he was his his mom dies in the hospital, so like vampire blade baby comes out and is at a hospital, so they must have like given him a birth certificate. <laughs> the government, 
Does Blade pay taxes? <laughs> Was Blade in foster care? Does Blade pay taxes with his stolen watches? He sends his envelope to the IRS. <laughs> They're all just knockoff, not even real. And just, go. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> the true the true questions for this movie. <laughs> how scuzzy this film is like i love that like all of the spaces in the city that we see in this film are just like dirty and gross everything's dark everything's grunge yeah and i love i love the little details like that like um blade you know steals watches and jewelry and stuff off of his uh his victims and that's how he pays for everything like i also love the the anti-cop propaganda that is happening like it's like oh yeah the cops are in the evil vampires pockets and like this little whiny dude cop is not not even a vampire he's not even cool enough to be a vampire he's a familiar i love the disdain with which blade says he's a familiar yes <laughs> like, he's just yeah. like the worst kind of person he's a familiar he's fucking not even... vampire groupie yeah exactly <laughs> you're just a simp uh-huh. yeah exactly <laughs> talking about sims for villains here we go <laughs> written right into the story here yeah exactly <laughs> well i want to know if either of you noticed how strange this transition was because it threw me through a loop when blade defeats uh quinn for like the second or third time like after he's cut off his hands again um and he kind of retreats back to frost with um the blonde vampire henchwoman and he is like talking about how he's like he's like He's freaking out and he's like, I can't do this. And he, and Deacon is kind of like, for the first time, being kind of like sympathetic towards him. And he's just like, I need you, man. I need you. Like, calm down. And then out of the scene transitions to just a close up of two faces, like making out and with like the vampire teeth coming down. And it took me a second to realize that it wasn't Deacon and Donald Lowe. <laughs> Like, what? Who's making out? (laughs) Well, what what threw me, I think it was that, probably that same scene. What threw me is because, like, at that point, like, uh, Quinn had his, like, hand cut off. So it was just, like, a bloody stump. And they're talking to each other. And then the other vampire who was, like, like, she was, like, bandaging it or whatever. She just, like, goes and, like, takes a bite out of the stump. (laughs) And he he just acts like um, like a a, a dog owner trying to, like, discipline. He's just like, hey. Like, what the hell? Knock it off. I was like, the first time I saw that, I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) Well, and then, like, later on, it's dropped randomly that, like, the other vampires sometimes eat other vampires, too. And it's like, what is happening? I love that this movie is full of weird shit like that. Like, that's what makes this movie, like, I don't know, what makes it hold up is just, like, it's full of weird shit like that. (laughs) It's a very, like... It's it is like a polished action film, but it's not overly polished. Like it's just weird and gross in so many ways that I think. Uh, but I think it does sincerity really well too. Like it is ridiculous and over the top. But like there were moments like between when when Whistler dies, I was like, I was like, damn. It, like I was laughing and I was enjoying it, and then that happened, and I was just like, "Am I gonna cry for this old man with bad hair?" <laughs> like, Whistler's a great character, and you were saying Nick that he's not in the comics. Whistler, he was for the movie. 
I looked this up. This is very interesting, the Whistler character. So apparently the Whistler character that is played by Chris Christopherson um, was not in the original comic book and was solely created for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I guess he was so popular that um, Marvel ended up including him on a guest appearance of the animated Spider-Man series before the movie was even filmed. Um, but Marvel didn't own the rights to Whistler at the time. So apparently this caused a huge legal dispute between Marvel and New Line Cinema because <laughs> of the Whistler character. That's Isn't that new. crazy? <laughs> that is crazy. Like that was so wild when I when I looked when I ended up Why finding out. Why is it always Spider Man related? These legal <laughs> disputes. <laughs> but I think Whistler is a great character. I love him. I think Chris Christopherson is perfect in the role. Um, I looked it up. I was like, is Chris Christopherson still alive? And he's still alive. He's eighty six. Oh, wow. He's still alive. <laughs> him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, his his. The character dynamic between um, Whistler and Blade was just very, like, very wholesome and believable. Like, they were very gruff, no affection showing between them. Like, at one point, she's, even Karen's like, my mom said a cold heart's a dead heart or something like that. You know, like, she's like, I know you guys love each other. Shut yeah. up. Like, <laughs> so, like, that's how it. I think that they played off his death really, really well. Because I was expecting, like, any kind of emotion from blade but you don't get it because he's not that type of character he's not going to show you that so he's just like a good reaction shot of yeah blade. him just walking off like ooh. Mm-hmm. got but it i right. love how the film still conveys the warmth of their relationship even though they're not warm to each other like it's a really good balance yeah because there are there's so many different types of relationships and i think that like film sometimes has trouble showing more than like the common big ones you know and it's like no there's so many subtleties between the way people interact with each other and Mm -hmm. so yeah and even in the scene where um then i think that there was like this is another thing that was possibly another comedic line too even in the scene where um uh whistler was dying like the like blade dramatically pulls the the sheet off of him and he's just like covered in blood and like has all these like wounds and stuff and they're talking to each other like really close face to face or whatever blade takes this like tiny like little square of gauze and is like dabbing it on his like throat like i'm like what what are you what is that what are you doing it's like putting a band-aid on like a gaping wound it's like that's not gonna help babe yeah but there is stuff like that where like that has to be humorous you know it's like just these very small uncommented upon things that are like (laughs) because it was supposed to be like a tender moment between two like non-tender guys but then like the fact that it was such a tiny piece of gauze and like he wasn't going to actually help anything by doing it, but also the fact that it was just like so like gnarly and sticky fake blood, you know? So it kept just like, <laughs> like clumping up and it just looked so gross. <laughs> like I found myself like it was a very like, and I, and I think that it kind of cut the uh, like a fine line there where it was like, it was definitely like, um, touching in a way having those two but also having that at the same time where it was also like that comedic undertone like I think they <laughs> they did it pretty well I think if, I'm not sure and that's kind of one of those things I wasn't sure if that was intentional or not but it was a little like if you paid attention to it it was a little absurd so yeah. <laughs> well and that's wasn't sure that's honestly the best part about this movie is just the tone like it's just it it keeps that weird insane absurd balance between like almost over the top like deadpan and like just genuine action movie like i I think because because i don't think it's campy like that's the thing i mean it's now see the sequels 
Yeah. Maybe. Well, and that's what's so interesting, like, about this, the tone of Blade is, like, even the sequels don't really recreate it. I mean, Blade 2, I love, but it's a totally different type of film. It's a Guillermo del Toro film, and I'm ride or die for GDT, so I love it. <laughs> but it's not, it's, it's a different, it's totally different. Um, and then Trinity, I think, goes full camp. Um, and, and that's the thing about Blade is, like, it's, it's not really campy, but it does, but it's um, it's like touching on the undertone of camp. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's very, it's very. It's knocking at the door. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, there's a subtlety to it, which is hilarious because it's not a subtle movie, but there is like a lot of subtlety working kind of behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a unique tone. I can't think of a lot of films that that really. But um, again, I can think of it. so many that try to recreate it. Right. And fail. Yes. Yes, but I exactly. haven't. I can't think of any that successfully do recreate this tone. It's very unique, mm-hmm. and I think I, I mean we said this before, but I'll reiterate it again. Like it does come down in large part to Wesley Snipes' performance. Like he, his performance sort of encapsulates the tone and solidifies the tone. Um, and I, this you don't have Blade without Wesley Snipes. Like you just don't. <laughs> well, it's also a really good. There's a really good dynamic between Wesley Snipes and all of the other characters. Like the way he um the way Blade interacts with Karen is also like really fun in that way because there's these moments where like like I'm thinking of um when they're first trying to track down the cop guy and they he like <laughs> Blade is like fucking him up in that the back room and he like tosses him and you just see Karen kind of walk past like having to dodge this body being tossed at her <laughs> and she just gives this like really bitchy look to Blade and I love it it was just it's it's that weird line of like it's funny but it's also like serious like she's really being like I'm walking here <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who doesn't like this movie it's just very watchable i feel like we keep going back to that but it's just a very it's just you can't take your eyes off of it it's a good time <laughs> and then the very like just a the, i feel like it's like the cherry on top of the, the the quirk salad that is this movie too is the the final scene where it's like he like uh, uh, karen lives or whatever and he ends up is like in russia for some reason yeah. and yes. now knows russian like wait what and then credits roll like okay (laughs) and and i think it speaks to the absurdity of the rest of the movie that like i really didn't pause when i saw it i was just like yeah makes sense Mm -hmm. of course he knows russian (laughs) why not fluent (laughs) (laughs) as we said blade is just a super influential film um you mentioned the hot goths doing martial arts, Nick, and that's like <laughs> the best the best genre of film that Twitter invented. And I think Blade is peak hot goths doing martial arts. Um, and there's also you mentioned the the photography, the cinematography, um, and that also I think that look that this film creates that cool kind of relentlessly blue photography. Um, I, I don't think that Blade was the first movie to do that per se but i think it really popularized that look that blue look in this genre in the kind of supernatural action genre mm-hmm. um i mean so we can think we can thank blade for the twilight yeah, col- yeah. color <laughs> yeah but also like underworld the first underworld movie 
so looks blue. like it's trying to be blue. Oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. um and I think and Queen of the Damned looks like it's trying to be blade. <laughs> and um that's I think that's funny because I feel like Underworld's kind of one of the only follow-up movies that really gets close to to what Blade has going. And um so I think it's fun that like we have kind of like this trilogy of movies that have really nothing in common as well two of them i guess have a little bit in common because of the vampire thing but like not plot wise at all but like we have blade underworld and the matrix and they all just have that look about them you know mm-hmm. and even though they're very different stories and very yeah different. yeah but they're so they're just a, they're just like a beacon of this time yeah they're very aesthetically mm-hmm. linked yeah yeah for yeah. sure and i think that like they they kind of are the the blueprints for everything that we got following up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, like, the idea of a vampire action movie, we get so many of those in the aughts, and it's straight, straight after Blade. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like everybody oh, yeah. just, like, Blade kind of became the blueprint for what people wanted out of vampire movies for a while, um, in a way that I think it doesn't get a lot of credit for sometimes, unless you're into vampire movies and thinking about it, because, yeah so many action vampire movies from the aughts (laughs) so many i feel like it's not even the fact that because it was so inspirational to the a lot of the movies that were in the aughts that we talked about and cover on the podcast but like the fact that it is almost transitional in itself and it is coming on like the cusp of the night like it's at the end of the 90s it's going into the 2000s and then it's kind of starting this influence of all of these other vampire movies that we get. So it really is kind of a transitional movie in itself, too, especially with the character of Blade and how he is, like, very not a vampire to, like, maybe he will eventually become a vampire, a self-hating vampire, you know? So, yeah, it's... I just think that's neat. (laughs) So, Leah, did you also want to touch on the fact that it is getting remade? Yeah, so it's... um. Marvel, the MCU has announced, they announced a couple years ago that they were going to do another Blade movie. They announced Mahershala Ali's casting, which I love Mahershala Ali. And that's like the only reason I have any interest in this project whatsoever is his casting. (laughs) Yeah, but they announced it a few years ago and they, there's not been a lot of news about it. They're still going to do it. um, And I believe that um, at D23 last week, uh, Kevin Feige did like announce when the new Blade movie is supposed to come out, but I haven't looked at it. Um, but there was like no news about it for a while. Like they announced this casting, they got people kind of hyped, and then we heard nothing. Um, and yeah, I know a lot of people are very hesitant about an MCU approved Blade. <laughs> I'm I'm skeptical, and I'm because I don't like trust them what, to not use their algorithm <laughs> i think they're gonna they're gonna end up using the algorithm and i'm not i love mahershal ali too like but i don't think that he is uh i don't i'm not sure if he's gonna be able to bring like the quirkiness or the cheekiness that wesley snipes brings to it to the character too what i'm wondering is because because of what i know mahershal ali for because of like the type of characters he usually plays i'm wondering if this blade is going to be more of a good guy vampire um, because I think that's a type of character that Mahershala Ali could really pull off. Um, mm-hmm. that he, someone who is maybe 
you know, whose conflict is a little more apparent in the story, whose internal conflict is a little more apparent. Someone who um, is a little more tortured, as good guy vampires tend to be. I mean, I love the Wesley Snipes version of Wade because it's it's none of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I wonder if they're going to turn it into more of that in the MCU version. That's what I'm thinking, too. They're probably going to be almost, com- like, probably nothing similar to each other, I would yeah. imagine. I yeah. don't see them recreating the character of blade in this day i i just i don't think that's what people are looking for in characters anymore and even though it would be interesting and i think that there's still definitely merit to these types of characters i don't think we need to just have like one type of protagonist vampire character but i don't have a lot of faith that Marvel in particular is going to want to branch out or do anything risky. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and to me, it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like blade is still so fucking good. You know, (laughs) like I said, it's still, even if, even if Morbius had a decent storyline, which it doesn't like visually blade still beats the shit out of Morbius. Like it's just still good (laughs) yeah i mean you can say that like the cgi and whatever in blade looks older it looks dated it's true but also they're just going for it with the visual effects in this movie so like they're doing ridiculous shit with the cgi Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so it it looks of course it doesn't look realistic but there's no way to do what trying to right there's no way to do what they were trying to do and make it look realistic so i kind of i kind of enjoyed the very like baroque cgi effects That's that's something that I think that a lot of modern movies are really missing is the, that there's this desperate attempt to go for realism when I think that most audience members don't go to a movie to see reality. You know, like I think that there is something so like tactile and amazing about just seeing like ooey gooey exploding things that. Mm-hmm. No one's going to want to know what an actual human being looks like exploded. Right. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not the goal here. The goal here is to be grotesque and over the top and fun and that's all you need. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very like the CGI on this one is like very poppy and mm-hmm. in your face and not realistic, but that kind of made added to the quirks of this movie and made it fun. So. Right. Right. For sure. I would like to see a movie go for this type of look in 2022 you know i i want that i want there to be this kind of like re- the reliance on over-the-top naturalistic cgi to just disappear <laughs> yeah yeah like they they completely wrecked jurassic park with it so <laughs> just well, stop I mean, it <laughs> i think a lot of people who are like practical effects purists it's like it's because the sense of fun that you get with practical effects is so often gone when you get cgi because there's this emphasis on trying to be as realistic as possible it's like fidelity to to um the real image and whatever and it's not like creative and bonkers and <laughs> like what and happened think, to bonkers yeah so i think it's like it's not my for my thing i'm not against cgi i think cgi is fine it's just like there are ways to wield it creatively that I think people just don't even think about because everyone nowadays, particularly in Hollywood, it's like you use special effects to create something real looking. Mm -hmm. It's like, but you don't always have to. And Um, there's, there's that for sure quality of eerie unnaturalness that comes. There's an uncanniness to having. Uncanny Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's like, we don't, 
even if you get the most real looking thing possible, like just because it's not real, the human brain is always going to know. And there's, it's going to be, it's going to be the polar yeah. express. And yeah. It's going to be weird. Yeah. So just lean into the unreality, and I, <laughs> you know? And I feel like it gets lazy sometimes to like, see like, um, like the, 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 the new, the, the newer star Wars movies, how, um, they just CGI'd, um, Leia in and, um, I can't remember the other guy's name from the original series that had that had passed away. Instead of like creative, like writing creative ways of the, the, for these characters to leave the story and like um, and, and nice ways for the actor actors and stuff, they just like gave up and like just just let's just fix it with CGI kind of thing. It's so I feel like it's version. yeah. So I feel like it's almost can get lazy on the the writers side too, where they can just like lean on that and just make it look that way. For sure. Well, it also sure. turns into it turns into like trying to be like saving money and like avoiding union stuff because they're like we can just exploit cgi artists and make them work way way over the limit you know because there's no rules regulating this and we don't have to pay for anything but like the shitty cgi so like why would we have a set when we can just like make them draw it (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's that's a huge issue is the labor component for sure yeah um, but anyway, all that's to say, Blade is great. And- <laughs> <laughs> Still fun, holds up today. I think yes, ten yes. out of ten. Yes. Go watch it; it's fantastic. <laughs> so do we have any last thoughts on Blade before we wrap it up? Uh, I have lots of thoughts on Blade, but <laughs> I could just, I could just go all, I'll go forever. But uh, no, I think I'm good. You guys want a 24 hour <laughs> podcast on Blade? Blade, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well i hope we got to most of what you wanted to talk about nick it was great to have you on it was Lots so fun, fun. <laughs> yeah we really enjoyed having you thank you so much for having me on guys this was a this was a blast so we love having guests on we're very happy so yeah thanks for joining us for this meeting of the fan club if you enjoy what we do remember to rate us on apple podcasts and or spotify if you can it just helps other listeners find our show and you can find show notes and other related info in our description um, of this episode and if you have anything you want to share with us you can also find us on instagram and or twitter at fan club pod we also have an email, which is fanclubpod at gmail.com. And thank you so much to our Kofi supporters. Uh, we really appreciate you all. You make it possible for us to run this podcast at no cost to us, uh, which is fantastic. And we do not take that for granted. So thank you. Um, if you'd like to join our Kofi supporters, you can find us at www.kofi.com slash fanclub. That's www.ko-fi.com slash fanclub. And as always, the best way to support us is just to listen and pass along the fan club agenda. (laughs) (laughs) We need to like print out a pamphlet with the fan club agenda. (laughs) Here's our manifesto. (laughs) It just says watch blade. (laughs) We'll see you next time.